You're listening to the Journeys of Scientists podcast put on by MSU WAMPS. These are casual conversations with graduate students in a variety of fields to learn about their experiences, research, and what brought them to where they are today. To keep up to date with future WAMPS events, be sure to check out our website at WAMPS.org and follow us on social media. We are MSU WAMPS on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On this episode, we are joined by Samantha Jemek, a doctor of veterinary medicine candidate at MSU pursuing small and exotic companion animal medicine. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Samantha. Could you briefly introduce yourself? What's your area of study here at MSU? Yeah, I'm Samantha. I'm a first-year veterinary medicine student in the College of Veterinary Medicine at Michigan State. Awesome. So what kind of veterinary like medicine are you after? General, exotic? What, what are you after? after? Yeah, after school, my plan is to focus primarily on small animals, um, typically, that would include your cats and dogs. I would like to also focus on exotic companion animals, which would be included with your parrots, hedgehogs, the occasional porcupine I've seen, brooded dragons, rabbits. Who oh, has who has porcupines as pets? A client did. <laughs> uh, well, okay. That does sound exotic to me. <laughs> or um, we don't specifically... One practice I worked at didn't specifically work with, with wildlife rehab, but there was a rehabber who would come to us every now and then. So, Okay. Is exotic just not cat and dog? Essentially. Exotic in this sense would refer to exotic companion animals where you get like the parrots and whatnot, because then you can also breach into hawks, falcons, where you get into um, wildlife medicine. So exotic is basically anything not cat or dog, but if you are talking geese, different types of birds, raccoons, that's a whole different area that's sometimes very overlapped with exotic companion animals um, in ways that you wouldn't expect that porcupine was a pet, but um, there is that difference. Okay. So then I guess with so like I can I can picture okay like cats and dogs okay you take them to the vet and stuff but like those kind of non mammal type animals that you had like what does a vet do with those because I'm assuming you're not giving like a vaccine to a bearded dragon or anything like that so like what does why does one bring these other types of animals to the vet? There are certain vaccinations for, say, ferrets and rabbits, especially if they're going to be traveling outside some. Uh, People will get the scent glands in ferrets removed. People, I've also known a couple people that have pet skunks, um, and they'll get their scent glands removed. They're honestly adorable. (laughs) They're pretty cute. Um, They act more like domestic cats than you would expect, but will remove their scent glands. Um, dental care, proper nutrition. People can come to a GP to get referred to a nutritionalist if they're not already. Usually people who have exotics are more than equipped to handle them species-wise in terms of husbandry, but um, you'll see like injury, burns on lizards from heat lamps every now and then if one falls, everything. Oh, okay. <laughs> Stays and neuters on bunnies, especially. Yeah, because I was, um, they can't breed red rabbits, um, as as I understand. Um, uh, okay, so, like, what got you interested in, like, going into vet school? 
it kind of, I originally wanted to, well, when I was younger, I wanted to be a dolphin trainer that didn't exactly peg out financially, apparently. Um, however, at some point I pivoted to human med school, got to undergrad, decided that wasn't for me after shadowing in a hospital for a little bit. That school was never really on my radar for some reason. Um, it took a couple people sitting me down and being like, you love science, you love animals. This just kind of feels like a good option for you. And me being kind of like, no, every I thought veterinarian was very much just your GP, see animals, deal with clients a lot, which is still true. But I didn't know the scope of the field, which is actually so much wider than I thought it was. Okay. So it more or less was just the best decision. Yeah. And yeah. has been the best decision. <laughs> Are you originally from Michigan? I'm from Chicago, actually. Oh, okay. Are there a lot of dolphins in Chicago? There Brookfield <laughs> Zoo. <laughs> okay. I've never been to Chicago, so I don't <laughs> No, we have there's Brookfield Zoo. Um Lincoln Park Zoo, I don't believe, has dolphins. I was not there quite as much. That aquarium has dolphins and some beluga whales. Okay, very nice. You said you're in your first year, right? If that's cool. Yeah, I'm in my first year. Okay. So what does it like your, you know, sort of the, the grad school or vet school sort of look like you take like classes, I'm assuming for your first couple of years. And then do you also work in a clinic or something in addition? Yes. Yeah, so whether you work or not is kind of a personal preference. I do just a little bit in the ER clinic for extra experience. Um, class-wise though, our first year is all didactic courses as well as clinical skills labs about normal physiology of the animal body. The four main t- are cats, dogs, cattle, and horses um, that the NAVLI, the National Licensing Board, will test us on. Second year is the same concept, except it's all abnormal physiology. Third year, you start to learn surgery and branch out and start clinics. And then by the time you get to your fourth year, it's essentially lining up a year's long worth of two to three week externships back to back. Okay. In different Does, fields. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I never really thought about this. So like, you know, I going to equate this to like human doctors in mm-hmm. a sense is like, okay, you have your general practitioner, but then like a surge surgeon is like something like different. That's like a more specialized person. Right. But you like mentioned surgery. Like, so do like veterinarians like also do surgery or is that like some other specialized thing? In veterinary medicine, your veterinarian is your surgeon, your dentist. We do radiographs, ultrasound, acupuncture now, pretty much unless you're going to a specialty like internal medicine. When it comes to diagnostics, veterinarian does everything. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty cool. Um, okay. Fascinating. So what's, what's the type of work that you said you're in like an ER lab, right? Or ER something other, what does that look like? Yeah, I work in the um, Michigan State's Veterinary Medical Center's Emergency and Critical Care Department. And essentially we have a brand new, there was a big donation a couple of years ago. They were able to build out this great ICU area with lots of natural light um, and updated equipment, which is awesome. And essentially we are just are able to take in cases from the community And some patients will be there long-term for critical care management of certain illnesses. Most patients that I see, because I work in triage, come in and just day-to-day for various issues, whether hit by a car or attacked by other dog, um, 
potential poisoning. It's all over the board, anything you couldn't, couldn't imagine. And then my role is essentially to take vitals, assess who's urgent, needs to see a doctor immediately, who can wait a second and get a doctor on their case and get them going. Okay. Fascinating. So like, obviously, like I can see I've already met your cat here, you know? Um, So do you like apply what you're learning you know, in your class and all that. And you're like, now, oh, I'm constantly examining my cat of like, oh, this is where their whatever is. <laughs> I try to leave. My cat has been losing weight, actually. And I'm working with an internal medicine doctor at MedVet and Commerce a little um, bit away from here. And because I'm in the normal year of study, it can be frustrating because nothing is horrendously wrong with her, but we're trying to figure out what exactly is going on. And I'm like, I know how things should be. I can get her normal information, but it's there, there's gaps that are missing still. So I practice on them. But when it comes to my own pets, I have two two kitties actually. I just kind of go into hypochondriac mom mode because I don't know enough yet um, about abnormal physiology to really analyze them fully, which gets a little irritating, not irritating, but just, I want to know more now. Mm-hmm. Um, I am able to make stronger connections when I'm in the ER and a little emotionally detached from those animals in the sense that I care. But if a cat comes in with pleural effusion, I'm able to link his respiratory rate with what I learned in respiratory course three weeks ago mm-hmm. and have those conversations with the doctors looking at the ultrasound. And it's easier in that environment for me. Okay. But there so, are definitely Yeah. Okay. So maybe like you don't necessarily have this experience that, but like regular, like full on, you know, veterinaries, veterinarians take their cats to a different veterinarian or do they just do it all themselves? They, from what I've encountered, a lot of vets will, depending on how big your practice is, bring their animals into the practice they work at and then have a tech or a different nurse or a different doctor do anything invasive for the animals so that their pet doesn't associate them with pain whatsoever. Um, And then they'll typically keep their eye on like the diagnostics. So essentially short answer, yes. But then we try to avoid working on our own animals sometimes personally, because we get a little afraid that they're going to associate us with the needle poke or anything. That's fair. That also seems stressful if you're like the, then the person who then carries this out, I'm like, Oh man, I, I can't, kill my boss's dog (laughs) always stressful especially so in that case yeah yeah awesome okay so um what did you do for your undergrad like what was your actual undergrad degree in Uh, i went to illinois wesleyan university in central illinois and i got my bachelor's in biology and neuroscience so we didn't have any like zoology or animal science available um but that's what I did. And I loved it. Okay. Why neuroscience? It was just super interesting. And by the time I had taken enough courses that I only had like one left to complete like a minor, I was like, well, I might as well at this point. Okay. So when you take neuroscience, um, is there like a big difference between like humans and other types of animals? Or is it just like up neurons or neurons? (laughs) Physiologically speaking, chemically, we're very similar neurotransmitters are similar. Dopamine will have the same effect um, in a dog as it will in a human. The difference lies in the social constructs and emotional layer that human have humans have added onto that. And then a lot of it past the 
chemical similarities is hard to say because we just don't know in animals in that capacity. Okay, that's fair. So then how did you end up here at MSU? I did a gap year after undergrad, applied to a plethora of um, vet schools because I'm a one and done type person. Um, And then I was lucky enough to get into here and my state institution ended up coming to MSU just because the surgeon I used to work for talked so highly of it. He was an alum and I'm a very big outdoors person and I love Illinois with all my heart, but there's a lot of cornfields compared to Michigan, the Lansing area is quite beautiful. So ended up at MSU and it's been a great place. Okay. So where in Illinois were you from? You, you said Chicago or cornfield land, one of the two. <laughs> I realize well, those are like really how Illinois is defined it, right? It's it, yeah, it's one or the other, no in between. <laughs> yeah. I'm from Chicago where I went central Illinois where I went to school is all cornfields. Um, U of I where they have their vet school. So it's essentially one per state, if even it was all cornfields, uh, sets that distinction. <laughs> it's one or the other. Once you hit like 30 miles outside Chicago, it's a lot of prairie land. Oh, okay. Okay. Fair. Awesome. Okay. So you, like you said, you do like outdoors things, like what kind of outdoor things do you like to do? I love to kayak. I actually just found a brand new bike on Facebook marketplace for like 20 bucks the other day. So I love to bike super excited about, um, all the trails, the river Mm -hmm. trails that Lansing has and check that out. Walking, running is a new thing for me, but I guess I like that now. (laughs) Now these all no, from my experience, these are all very good outdoor summer things to do. What do you do during the winter? <laughs> I go for walks. I was on an hour long okay. walk the other week. Oh, okay. <laughs> Different world. Can't bike or anything, but I still enjoy it. Okay. Very nice. You also, I saw in like the bio that you sent me that you're singing in the MSU choral union, choir union. Oh, the choral union. Choral union. Yeah. yeah. So what's that all about? <laughs> so essentially I did music for all of my high school career, jazz choir, acapella, musicals, all that. Wasn't quite able to do as much, unfortunately, in undergrad. And by the time I got here after COVID, I saw the opportunity. I didn't even see it. I messaged someone at the School of Music and was like, what can I do? Um, And they pointed me in the direction of the Choral Union. And essentially, it's really cool. It's open to anyone in the community, basically. So it's about 60 to 70 singers a good majority of them are retirees who were music majors in the day. Um, there's a couple like MSU faculty staff that just like to be involved. And then there's like 10 or so graduate students, including myself. Um, and we work on pieces. We're directed by Dr. Rawl from the MSU School of Music. He's great. We get to rehearse pieces every Wednesday night. And then in the fall and spring is a concert. So April 28th at the Wharton Center. It'd be nice. We're doing Verity's Requiem. You're doing what? Verity's Requiem. Okay. I I am uncultured. I don't know. (laughs) I hadn't heard of it and never really heard it until we started rehearsing it. Um, Essentially, it's an ode to souls that we've lost. It's a pretty piece. Oh, okay. How many people people did you say was like in this? It's about 60. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a good number. I'm a... I'm singing as an alto right now, and we've got about 20 people in our voice part, a little bit less some days. Um, it's a good size group. It's really fun. Okay. Is alto high? Like a 
Alto is lower. So if you go from highest to lowest, typical voice parts in a four piece um, composition, you'll have soprano, highest, then alto, and then tenor, and then bass. So I'm an alto. Okay. Okay. That was a very long winded answer, but yeah. No, it's the lower traditionally female voice part, although girls can range as well. Sometimes girls are tenors, it depends. Yeah. Okay. So uh so i'm just like so you have you know like 50 or 60 people whoever doing that like how much does like one individual like actually contribute to you know the whole thing that sort of makes sense (laughs) yeah yeah. you would think not a ton until you're in a rehearsal and you can tell that someone is off or you're listening to someone and you can kind of hear the difference it's kind of if you had to quantify it maybe a couple percent out of the entire group, but unless it's right, the impact of that percent can be. So say we're on a G and as an alto, you hit the wrong note and you're three off or something, or even just the tonality is wrong or pronunciation, because usually this piece is in Latin and a lot of them tend to be, say your impact is maybe 2%, but then something's off, all of a sudden it's bumped up to like 18%. Because one part of the machine is cranked and everything mm-hmm. else just doesn't sound right anymore. So, okay. So a bit, then, a bit. yeah. Can you, like, are you good at like hearing pitch then? I'm decently good. It's weird because I'm very good at matching pitch. However, when I'm tested, like in curricular choirs, I used to be tested on it. When it comes to hearing it, I'm not as fantastic. I don't exactly know how that matches out with me <laughs> um, to be proficient still, but. Okay. So then when you, when you get your, your degree or your, um, uh, whatever, your, your, your certification is maybe the word I was looking for. <laughs> um, when you become a veterinarian, like what is like kind of your, actual like a goal of wanting to to do so i'm trying to keep my mind really open and explore a lot of opportunities which luckily msu allows me to do i really think i'm narrowing down that i want to stay in like i mentioned earlier small and exotic companion animal medicine um i really really want to own my own practice one day maybe five eight ten years out from graduation is kind of the ultimate goal unless I leave myself room to pivot, in which case I really love emergency medicine in a way that I was not expecting to do. Um, but it's nice. That's always an option for me. So between the two of them, either emergency medicine or general practice wellness medicine, where I have the opportunity to own a hospital. Okay. So why, why does emergency stand out to me? That seems like far more stressful. (laughs) It is, but I'm, I've been doing a lot of reading lately. I have um, ADHD and it's certainly not always the case, but I've been reading that typically people with ADHD like that environment because in the way that I always have never been able to articulate, it's kind of chaos that allows me to focus in. And I've always been the type of way to where a chaotic situation doesn't cause me to freak out. I kind of feel calm. Um, once that like a, before I ever had the opportunity to work in emergency medicine, I was the only kennel assistant back at my first job in the field like four years ago and I let this cat out and she had jumped up on a gate but missed and her foot had gotten stuck and so she ended up like 
dislocating her shoulder and was just screaming at the top of her lungs. But in that instance, it was weird how I just didn't feel like I don't feed off of other people's or animals emotions enough to let it cloud myself. And it makes things chaotic in a way that I want to fix it. And so I remember I was speaking to someone like weeks prior about dislocations and whatnot, and I was able to help her. Um, but I just stay calm in those situations. They're, they're fueling for me, the type of chaos. Are you, would you describe yourself as like a calm person? I mean, you said, I know you said you had ADHD, ADHD, but do you have like a, a, like a calming persona in like different situations? I think it really, I think, yes. I think it really depends on who you ask. I'm a bit of an introvert which doesn't mean that I'm not outgoing, but I tend to not be the most horrendously outgoing person. And I've been told I have like a chronic, oh, I probably can't say this, like resting bitch face. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm definitely like not, I don't have like golden retriever energy in a person. I'm more of a cat in a person's body. Um, So definitely more calm, but like internally high energy, if that makes sense. Okay. How long have you had your, your cats? I I just turned three last Monday. They have had her for two and a half years. I adopted her when she was three months old. So about two and a half years now. Um, And Banshee, I also have, she's over there somewhere. I adopted her about a year and a half ago and she's two years old. Did they already have their names when you got them? No, chai is just one of my favorite teas and she looks like the color of a chai latte and Banshee has got this gorgeous long black hair, but she doesn't meow like an adult still. She goes meow and it's kind of like a scream. So a Banshee in like old folklore is a spirit that I'll like wail to forewarn you that family family members are dying. Um, So I think she's kind of like a little witchy screamy (laughs) spirit. Okay. Now, do you have a favorite or are they equal in your mind? You can't ask me that. I absolutely don't. However, I don't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I did get Banshee for Chai. Okay. So they're getting like a buddy system sort of thing. Yeah. I wanted Chai to have another cat to bond with. And that was my rationale for getting Banshee. And I love her with all my heart, but do they actually get along or does, you know, you're like siblings and they just, you know, bicker at each other. (laughs) They do. They get along so well. They fight and wrestle in the way that I can tell they're not being malicious or guarding resources outside of like their little predetermined playtime and they'll wrestle, Mm -hmm. but you can tell they're not going hard enough to hurt each other most of the time. Um, And then they'll sit there and they'll groom each other, which aloe grooming and cats is a sign of kinship and being in, in the same colony so mm. they love each other very nice i also see if i'm at like the massive tower thing do you do the cats actually play with the toy or like the toy the tower thing or do they like play with the box that it came in <laughs> oh no they love this they actually i could tell that chai wanted more vertical space and cats really love most of them love vertical space except for a couple species they don't like to jump don't like to jump very much um, Chai will jump all the way to the top. I'll walk in. She'll be above me meowing, having a great time. Banshee loves it, but she can only get about three quarters of the way up because 
Her body condition score is a little higher. doesn't exactly allow her to get to the top, <laughs> uh, but they love it. They're up and down it all the time. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So sort of like wrapping things up a little bit, um, I like to ask people, do you have like any advice to either undergraduates thinking about going to like in your case, vet school or either advice to first year grad students or vet students and kind of adjusting to that lifestyle? I guess for the first thing I would say is for both of those academic stages would just be to not narrow yourself in to any box or idea of what it is exactly you're going to be doing or what it is exactly of who you are, what you're interested in, because you have no idea what is going to take your interest and your attention. And even if you do pivot, whether it's career-wise in general, like I didn't even want to go to vet school until halfway through college, (laughs) but I kept myself open enough to the idea that that's where I ended up going and now I love it. Um, And then same way too, I have no interest in doing large animal medicine. However, I am still open to the experiences. I'm on the neonatal team that lets students provide round-the-clock care for um, foals, goats, and other larger animals that come in and need that care as babies. I don't necessarily plan on doing that still, but I'm also like, well, who knows? Uh, I think my my biggest advice would just be to not narrow yourself into anything. I did research in undergrad that I liked a lot and decided I would never do it as a career, but the experience in and of itself was amazing. And just knowing that about yourself definitively is amazing. So yeah, just don't narrow yourself in. Yeah, very nice. Why do you not like the large animals as much? Is it like not as cute or they just like, it's not more difficult. It's just not something I ever grew up around as much. Mm -hmm. I don't have any connection with them in childhood. I held my first chicken the other week. (laughs) It was was that (laughs) That speaks to my experience, um, which this experience isn't in and of itself a barrier, but it's just not something that appeals to me quite the same as the animals that I have interacted with my entire life. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Chickens are scary. (laughs) She was the cutest lady. (laughs) Little hen. Um, awesome. I do love them though. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you for like sharing your stories and giving your, your tips of wisdom. Um, it was fun talking with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you guys do this podcast. It's so interesting.